0: Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem.
1: We are Go. This is Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. We today are in Singapore at the Antler headquarters on Anson Road, Collision 8. Joined by Tyler Norwood and UC Salavara. Gentlemen, welcome.
0: Thank you for having us.
1: Thanks for having us. It's I a pleasure. I yeah. think
0: just for prudence' sake, you're technically in found eight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Times have moved Collision on.
1: Collision 8 and so. found this week. So. <laughs> okay. Up with the times. All right. Why are we here? So, a bit of context. Um, we'll talk about the awards and the vote for Pitch Deck Asia, Best Ecosystem Builders in Asia. <laughs> We'll talk about that. We had over 9,000 people vote or 9,000 votes for that particular award category. And the the purpose, really, being is that we spend a lot of time talking to startup founders. Yet behind the startup founders, there's a whole layer of ecosystem of people who support them. So there's accelerators, co working spaces, funds, programs. And they aren't natural self promoters. They aren't always out there talking about themselves and their work. They're just sort of busy, heads down doing what they do, supporting startups, getting the next next batch in, or working on a demo day, or connecting startups with investors and so on. So we want to shine a spotlight on some of their work and join today. In the Antler headquarters, we have Tyler, and you are a partner in Antler?
0: Yeah, I'm a partner for Southeast Asia. Uh, and uh, in April, we'll be moving to the US, we'll be a managing partner um, for our launch in the US market. Excellent. So you've got big plans for growth as well. So we'll talk about the Antler story and we'll talk
1: about the kind of work that you do here. We had Magnus on the show already Mm, mm. and that was a really interesting conversation. Mm. And we talked about the spike, which we'll come back to, and the kind of founders that you like working with. You see, we've met already. It's good to have you back on the show. You're representing the Nordics today. My pleasure. Yeah. So a bit of background to yourself as well. You are originally from Finland. That's correct. Moved to Singapore when?
2: um a year ago
1: yeah so i'm quite with fresh antler still with antler yeah. yeah is that the first time living in asia or?
2: that is the first time living in asia yes yeah so i lived in london before and finland but and traveled obviously extensively but uh but uh, how's your experience
1: asia. been so, so far <laughs>
2: <laughs> no it's been awesome it's easy safe yeah s- sort of s- simple in some sense here in uh singapore because everything works which is what I'm used to coming from Finland. Finland. But then um, at the same time, the whole ecosystem in, in Southeast Asia is quite complex, and you know, you know you go to Indonesia, it's super different. You go to Malaysia, it's uh, different, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So there's so much depth and complexity in the
1: whole ecosystem that uh, it's not boring. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, Helsinki is a great ecosystem in itself and a hotbed of innovation. All of that part of the world. Do you think we'll see more from that part of the world come over to Singapore? Is there a Could trend? Be.
2: Could be. I mean, there's a lot of uh, people trying to bring Nordic uh, things, be it you know, startups themselves, products, etc., to, to Southeast Asia. Um, we have a lot of collaboration with the likes of the Nordic Innovation House, who who actually Stays with us here who try to help Nordic companies come here. There's accelerators who do the, who do the same thing, like NHAC, which is our uh, partner as well. So mm-hmm. there's a trend towards that uh, direction. Yeah. Right now, helsing is a hotbed for gaming um, and um, haven't really seen much of that yet here, meaning you know helsinki-based uh, gaming companies coming hard to uh mm. you know southeast asia but who it's knows a matter of happened. time
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah excellent well we'll talk a little bit about the internationalization theme that you've got going on here there's a real mix and how many nationalities do you have do you know in your batch at the moment have you counted i think
2: 30, 32 32 yeah. here in singapore here in singapore yeah wow. out of 100 founders mm-hmm. we have in the program 32 so. are
1: outside of singapore well, 32 different nationalities. 32, 32 different, different nationalities. nationalities. Yeah. Where do they come from? Not You don't have to name all 32, <laughs> but give us
0: a flavor for what's here. Jamaica, yeah. Brazil, the Pakistan. The US, obviously. US, China, um, a all lot over of, Southeast Asia. And do they come
1: to Singapore to join the program or do you bring them here? How does that work?
0: Um What's the distinction between those? Two? Well, so like, do they come here and then knock on your
1: door and say, "I want to be part. Of, I'm applying for antler," or do they then apply from Brazil or Jamaica and then yeah. they get accepted and they come over? Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah. it's a big commitment. The latter. Uh, so,
2: so we do global sourcing of founders, um, yeah. and then at the time of applying, they can choose between the different antler locations. So right now, we have Stockholm in the Nordics live we're soon going to have uh amsterdam london and sydney live as well as well as east africa and then like tyler said he's going to you know build uh the u.s Mm. so the founders can choose themselves but of course we also do a lot of proactive uh reach outs and and try to get people um, specifically also for the singapore program Mm. so it's a mix of sort of organic founder interest and us you know going after certain people in very targeted
1: fashion you place a big emphasis on the founders and the character of the Absolutely. founders and magnus went quite deep into that That yeah. was like his thing so i want to talk about that because that really for me is my understanding of what you do here in terms of that mm-hmm. sort of spotting talent and nurturing talent putting that into context is that sort of international aspect of it as well and tyler you spent a bit of time out of the us as well you're in vietnam for a while as well so yeah. can you
0: give us a bit of background to your journeys yeah, so uh, 2012, uh <clears throat> I was graduating university and had a bit of an existential crisis uh, and decided to do the craziest thing I could think of, so I moved to Vietnam. Right. Uh, one Why was that the t- craziest thing? Well, I guess... <laughs> He's from North Carolina, Yeah, so sitting there. <laughs> so, just to contextualize where I was coming right. from, I was at a school of like 11,000 students in rural North Carolina. Right. Um, so, so, Vietnam leaving, was leaving, not discussed, I'm, apart from in history books, like, right? Going to London would have been crazy, <laughs> right? So, so, going to Vietnam um, was just a, a, a sort of... <clears throat> I guess the way that I thought about it was... I had two options. I could either go into the very low ranks of banking and insurance or, you know, the the, mm. the normal types of entry-level business jobs you have coming out of a second-tier school. Or I could go do something that nobody else would do and hope that that would allow me to sort of navigate around that whole period of, of career. Uh, I just wasn't interested in doing that at all. Um, so, moved to Vietnam in 2012. Um, I spent four years there. <clears throat> um, started off... Uh, working as a tutor, helping uh, Vietnamese students apply for college in the U.S. Uh, and then I joined Zalora in 2013, mm-hmm. uh, built out their marketplace business um, in Vietnam first and then across Southeast Asia. Uh, Zalora got bought by Global Fashion Group. Uh, I got pulled up into that organization. And then from 2000. 16 onwards traveled around the world building marketplaces um, in different places. Right. Um, so you started as a teacher effectively and then moved into yeah,
1: the corporate which, and then into startup.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I started as a teacher. Uh, I think that as I get older, I really enjoy teaching. Uh, you know, I love teaching the founders here um, right. and, yeah. and it's, really it's enjoy this.
2: Super just helpful, actually. So yeah. uh,
0: you mean yeah. the
1: teaching skill,
0: the so,
2: presentation so skill? Tyler's skill at teaching to the founders here. Yeah. Um, he, he's probably not going to sell himself so hard, <laughs> so let me do that. But, well, but he's an American. Come on, that, it comes yeah. about to be talked about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more credible when I say it. But, uh, so, you know, he talks about how to ideate, how to iterate on your idea, how right. to test it in the market, and, you know, the teaching skills are just uh, off the charts for yeah, this sure. young man. Yeah, so.
1: Yeah, that sort of presentation... And not just explanation as well, but mm. to really empathize with people and communicate with them as well. Mm. Yeah. You know, these are the soft skills. Yeah. And yeah. how important that is in the startup world, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think, <clears throat> you know, one thing so, 2017, uh, embarked on my own founder journey. Um, so, built two different companies that both failed. Um, one in the SaaS space for real estate, one in vertical farming in Vietnam. No, actually, went back to the U.S. for a year. So I went back to Denver for a year uh, and did that, and uh, got a couple failures under my belt, and came back and joined uh, Antler. Is you know, I had worked for Magnus for all of my time at Zalora and GFG, Mm. uh, and really, really believed in the mission. Like the opportunity to work with founders every day um, was really, really attractive to me. I would never be interested in joining venture capital for venture capital's sake. The investment side of the whole business is not something that I'm particularly interested in. And, and luckily, I'm surrounded by people who are very good at that. Um, but the founder side is what I'm really interested in. So, you know, not only teaching the hard skills of entrepreneurship, which I think, the I mean, it, it's to be defined what the hard skills of entrepreneurship are. Uh, if there is a set of skills that make mm. an entrepreneur really successful. <clears throat> Um, that are hard. but really focusing on the soft skills. So the communication skills, I think one thing that uh, very few people in the ecosystem ever talk about is the emotional journey of being an entrepreneur. Um, and, and one thing that I think you can y- you can see really successful successful angel investors and, and venture capitalists oftentimes have been founders themselves. Mm. And I think what that allows them to do is understand the emotional journey of being a founder. And that's something that from the outside is impossible to appreciate because it's really hard to understand what it actually feels like to be in that situation where uh, the next two weeks of your life are completely opaque, Mm. right? You have absolutely no idea um, what's going to happen in the next two weeks, um, as well as you're in a situation to sort of call the existential vacuum where you realize that throughout your entire formal education and any time you spent in a traditional job you always have external feedback on what you're doing whether it's good or bad and only until you become an entrepreneur and go off into your totally own space, do you realize that with the complete lack of that, it's actually very, very difficult to Mm. orient yourself. So it's like being in a zero gravity situation and trying to figure out which direction is north. Um, And being able to understand that and empathize Mm. with that, I think, um, is something that the ecosystem, everyone except for the founders needs to do a better job of empathizing and understanding Mm. what that's like. Um, yeah,
1: that that founder side. Can we focus a little bit on that because yeah. that uh, you mentioned, for example, that you were attracted to working here at Antler. Which would you call yourself an accelerator or a generator uh, or startup generator? Build? Startup generator. Yeah. You're you're similar to an accelerator, I suppose. In the the outside view in right
0: in the second but, phase of what yeah. we do yeah, yeah. Right. the first phase i think is what's uh, uniquely Sets different apart, about what yeah, doing, okay yeah. well
1: let's talk about that because you said that attracted you rather than venture capital mm. a lot of people kind of lump you in the same yeah like category yeah mm. i not really knowing the difference an accelerator on the face to a lot of people looks like kind of like in that sort of same category as an early stage fund even though you're not necessarily doing the mm. same kind of things yeah in the in the sense of the people who work behind it yeah and right. obviously your connections are connecting startups at the other end with early stage investors and so on mm. right? yeah so let, let's talk about that because you do a lot of fundamental work with founders as well identifying founders training founders that sort of emotional journey as well working yeah. on them there can we talk about mm. that so people can understand what you do a little bit better here sure you know rather yeah. than just sort of okay, you have a few mentors that walk around yeah, yeah. the classroom and just peer it's over people. shoulders what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Point out some mistakes, right? You know, this is not yeah. sort of a cram school for yeah. entrepreneurs, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: So, I, I mean, first of all, accelerators and, and generators, the distinction, I mean, accelerators take companies, put them through a program and outcome better companies. Mm-hmm. And some of them invest, so that would make them venture capital, some of them don't. Um, we are a generator, we start from the individual. So we find these founders who are super skilled, driven, they have the spike, they have uh, many other characteristics that make them stand out. We bring them here to a program as individuals, not as companies, as individuals. And Then we do a lot of this uh, fundamental work that was referred to mm. to team them up in the founding teams we work with them on a business model, um, and then iterate on the team. This goes on for two months, and um, that's when we make our investment decision. Um, so we have a fund, like said, and and we invest. And then after we made an investment decision, um, there's sort of a four month phase where they build, and that's you know quite closely resembles yeah. an
1: accelerator, like a batch, yeah. Um, mm, yeah.
2: But but the 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 thing that sets us apart is starting from the founder mm. and uh not starting from a company or a team even so it's like a pre-team right. sometimes pre-idea so somebody model. comes to
1: you and says i kind of here's my background or i'm really passionate about this mm-hmm. and you see the talent but maybe they don't have that you know that structure or maybe the entrepreneurial mm-hmm. you know background or maybe they lack the the technical guy mm-hmm. in their team but <coughs> well, most then, often most
2: often it's that they don't have a team that, right. that's
1: like the most
2: basic right. situation like you're 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 super good super driven you want to build something but you're struggling to find a co-founder right. that's actually my my personal story where um I was I was sitting in a comfortable, great job in a corporate, working with startups on the side. Hit, with, I got hit with that bug of building something of my own, and I didn't. I was like, "Where do I find a co-founder who who right. meets my bar, which is not low, right?" Um, and I struggled to find that. And what I then actually ended up doing is uh, co-founding Antler um, right. well, with Magnus and, and so forth. Scratched their own itch, uh, right? exactly. But yeah. that's a that's a pain I had, and I can relate to. The founders uh, in that respect then I, mm. I i wish there had been an antler program yeah uh,
1: so all the founders you deal with pretty much are on their own when they come to you exactly, exactly. that's,
2: stage that's exactly that's the thing that sets right. us apart right. so over this two-month period um through a very intense program they then form teams right work together you know to refine the idea they get sort of galvanized together as a team. And then they they start building,
1: right? So if I was to look, I mean, we are sitting here in the green room, so to speak, of Antler, but the hot were, room. Yeah, if we were to look out there, you've got lots of different people sitting around, chatting, working together. What stage are they at in their development cycle? Yeah.
2: So it's week four right now yeah. of the program. So we had a hundred people uh, start four weeks ago, Jan twenty one as individuals as individuals there are a few teams uh, on an exceptional basis but uh, predominantly as individuals and they've gone through this process of working with the different people in the cohort Mm. we do a bunch of different hackathons group exercises team building (coughs) exercises where they get to you know see each other what is it like to work with you so you know you and i graham we're having a sort of nice chat here and uh you know I guess we can say we sort of like each other on this level but if we went yeah. and worked 12 hours in a competitive situation together there's a public pitch at the end and it's there's judging panels and all that we might see different colors come yeah. out from it the each, pressure you know, us. exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. so you know that that could lead to never want to work with you again yeah. or this actually works why don't we actually continue and mm. and, and through this process of iteration and and, uh, and you know trial and error you know you start forming teams. Mm. So right now, out of the 100 founders, 25 teams have formed. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically teams of two or three. Uh, And they are now sort of tracked out from this pool of founders looking for a co-founder, and they're working on a specific business idea.
1: Mm. So you've gone from 100 individuals to 25 teams.
2: And, and, then, and then in addition, there's like a pool of still yeah, right. 40, on, 40 going, yeah, yeah. Four, so There's 40, still six weeks team. left in that, yeah.
1: that process. Okay, so that still will change. Yeah, yeah okay. so
2: we're looking at probably getting like 40, 50 teams. Yeah. So, so the last time we ran this, uh, which was the inaugural program here, we had 65 founders come in. Mm. They formed 29 teams. And we ended up making thirteen one, three right. investments. Okay, so uh, you know, with a hundred founders looking at getting forty to fifty teams and then building twenty plus companies.
0: Yeah, yeah, so I think to I mean to help frame it a bit um, as well in in a way that's very easy to understand, so we fundamentally believe that having the right team is the most important part of building any successful startup. I think if you look at, Uh, any startup which is able to build traction really fast in fundraising and growth, et cetera, 90% of the time you look at the the co-founder profile Mm. and you have this sense of like, how did these people possibly come together? Like, how did they get so many smart people to all drop what they were doing and and work on this idea, right? And that if you can build a really strong team, even sometimes before you even know what you're going to work on, you have an advantage over... Uh, the average startup in Mm. the ecosystem, which generally was selected more out of necessity. It's like, this is the best that we could find as opposed to the absolute best people. Right. So if you look at what's happening in an antler location, we bring in a hundred founders at a batch. um, And, we spend four months and hundreds of hours recruiting and screening these different founders. So for one person to come in, there's 99 other people that we've spent a tremendous amount of time selecting from all over the world with all sorts of different skill sets. And we can go into later what we look for in the founders. But for one individual person to recreate the level of talent that they're exposed to in the, like in the organic setting, which exists right now, you know, they would have to spend, we have, thousands of applications that we select these 99 people out of. So for a founder to have such a talent pool uh, in any other way, they would have to have thousands of like weird, awkward coffee chat meetings, like reaching out to people on LinkedIn, et cetera. And the way we see it is we front load all that work for them. They show up here and they can get immediately to finding a really strong team. Instead of this, you know, every founder, I think, knows what it feels like, like see said, to have a good idea or to say, like, I'm ready to start my journey. And then to, you know, you talk to a few friends, maybe you get two or three leads out of your personal network. Um, <clears throat> and then you start, like, reaching out to people on LinkedIn and uh, having all these sort of weird, awkward conversations yeah. where you don't you need to test whether you could even work with this person but at the same time you have to sort of pitch them to walk away from whatever they're doing so it's just a strange dynamic mm. whereas here it's like everyone is here for 2 months and everyone has already decided that they want to start a full-time company so everyone can get straight to the work of figuring out out of this group of 99 other founders uh, who wants to solve the same problems as me mm. who do I really get along with all of that stuff so the 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 way i see it personally is that's the most valuable thing that we do. We don't match them. I mean, we don't say Graham and UC, you guys are a perfect team. You guys have to be together. What we say is, look, we've done the work of bringing you all together. We will put on a program that allows you to work and test with each other with who you choose. And the outcome is that, you know, 40 to 50% of you are going to A, be able to build a really strong team and B, in the course of this eight week period, be able to develop a business model around a problem that your team is mm. is very passionate about. And then we get to make an investment decision on which teams to support from there. Um, so, yeah, I think just, I, I wanted to make the distinction because that's the work that I feel we really mm. do. I don't want to take any of the credit away from really while they're here, the founders right. are doing all the hard work. We're just here to facilitate them meeting each other, helping them, you know, flesh out business ideas, etc. But all the work we do is prior to the program.
1: Yeah, yeah. I see that and how important that is. Yeah. There's a real magic, isn't there, as well? If you bring somebody out of their comfort zone, and in this case, a lot of those people have come from different countries, and you've moved country, Mm -hmm. you've moved country a number of times, I've lived in different countries, and I find, and I don't know how that sort of transpires here, but when you step outside of your hometown your home city where everybody speaks the same as you maybe looks the same as you yeah i don't know how it is in north carolina but you know it's probably not the most international place in the world but you you come somewhere new things happen at speed don't they like you've almost left your baggage behind yeah and you come here i've come here to set up a business you know i've burnt a few bridges yeah and therefore
0: i'm in yeah
1: yeah and And, how that sort of works here
0: and also, I think one thing that's easy to overlook is convincing a very smart person to walk away from all the opportunities they have and to pursue starting right. a company. That's a huge deal. Well, this I mean, is what the, you must have faced, yeah. right? And there's yeah. a yeah. there's an that's inverse right. relationship to how valuable someone would be as a startup founder right. and how likely they are to walk away. I Ooh. mean, they have tremendous opportunity cost. So just to have 99 other right. people in a room who are very talented and have already made the decision that they want to start a company, Ooh. that's hu- like, such a tremendous amount of work already done to get people to that stage. That's a lifetime yeah. of work, yeah. like banging your head against the wall. Yeah. And like but, like if I wanted to start a company with you right now, Graham, how long, I would have to spend You know, three to four months of us just hanging out and socializing yeah. before I could even convince you to walk away from the podcast and to leave everything that you've been working on to join me. All that work is is already done here. So you can really focus on what's important, yeah. which is the finding the right person. Absolutely. How important mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. You you must have faced this, this frustration. Like... It- yeah to I convince
1: mean, people to come and start in your startup as a co-founder no, exactly
2: do you have so so the question is sort of do you have pools of talented driven people uh waiting for you know you somewhere to be your co-founder yeah that would be nice no yeah no yeah you don't so 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 then uh it's just so much legwork and um i i wasn't really able to succeed with it out in the wild um like I said, if, if there had been an antler program, I would have uh, yeah. gone all in. But it's like here, um, it it's really high caliber people. There's like one person who is a good example of this getting someone out of their uh, great current job. Uh, most recently worked at Google. Uh, McKinsey before that, um, very driven, super strong guy. He was like... You see, let me be your ambassador. If you ever have any uh, events, I'm happy to come talk to you because I would pay to be in the program. Hmm. Uh, not like because we pay them a grant in the first two months um, to cover living expenses. It was like you don't have to pay me. I'll pay to be in the program because uh, it's so valuable to get that you know pool of people. He's here. He's here
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, he's outside. I don't know if he's in that room. Over there. You, you're going to give him a shout out? What's his name? <laughs>
1: Does he have a name? No, I have to agree with him. On that. Uh-huh. Well, we can narrow it down, ex-Google, ex-McKinsey. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. There you Find go. him on like, yeah. so, His he, name is Nemanja. Uh-huh.
0: One of, uh, you know, I was just writing this thought down. Um, you know, one of the things that I think that this organization changes as well is that in the wild um, – there is a natural tendency for companies to be idea first, Hmm. right? To say, and 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 the reason that is, I think is because of this co-founder problem, which is the Hmm. only impetus for me to try to recruit you to be a co-founder with me is I have to have some sort of idea, right? Like I have to pitch to you something that you would be interested in working on. And so what happens is you have a lot of teams who are founded on a specific idea because that was the way that the team was recruited in. And, What this creates is a very dangerous foundation for the team because especially at an early stage, there is a 110% chance Mm. that the idea is going to change and pivot. And if the foundation of the team being together is the original idea, as soon as that idea shifts and changes, the foundation of the team all being there starts to crumble, Mm. right? And the reason you have a lot of teams break up or not be successful through the early inception stage of the company is like, hey, we all joined to build this company, But as we're doing product market fit, we realize that it's actually this company. Mm. And now, Mm. you know, there's a bit of sunk cost fallacy. Like, yeah, some of the founders will stay on because we've already come this far, but everyone's not fully on board. Mm. As opposed to, you know, we're forming a team, we could build anything, right? Like, let's figure Mm. out what we want to build. The reason we're here is because we really want to work with each other, Mm. right? So I, I always use the metaphors, like, you would never marry someone because you think that you'd have pretty babies. Right. You marry someone because you love them Mm -hmm. and then you have kids as an outcome. But if Mm -hmm. the foundation is we're going to have really pretty babies, e.g., like we're going to build a successful company, that's a horrible foundation to build a relationship on. Yeah. Yeah. It might not happen. Exactly. And I think that co founder problem is the root of so many. Uh, challenges that oh. founders face and it's also you see that once you become a second time or third time co-founder there's two distinct advantages that you have one is obviously access to capital um, but i think that's actually really overstated if you have a strong team and a good idea access to capital is not necessarily the hardest yeah. thing to find it's really access to talent yeah without a doubt yeah. hands down I agree. if i've built and sold a company before my yeah. ability to reach out to people on linkedin and say hey i want to build my second company is yeah. is massively higher um and that is a that 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 I think is a much bigger advantage than mm. access to capital for second time founders. Absolutely.
1: Uh, Especially in a place like Singapore yes. as well mm. where there is a lot of alternatives. I mean, yeah, we, I mean there's a safe bank, there's a safe yeah. law firm, there's a safe yeah. consultancy you can work for. If right?
0: you're a smart talented driven young person in Southeast Asia, there is unlimited opportunities, Mm. right? Starting a company is one of very many opportunities that you could pursue. So, you know, it is, it is hard to find talented people. Um, and, and fundamentally, you know, going back to the original question that started this whole chain of thought is the difference between a generator and an accelerator is an accelerator isn't helping to solve any of these co-founder or early, early stage Mm. issues. And what we fundamentally believe is those early stage issues are actually the root cause of many of the problems that tear startups apart later on. Maybe not at the acceleration phase, but y- even later on. Hmm. And if we can solve those core issues, we can fundamentally improve and change the way that new companies are formed in in a, in a small bit. Right. I mean, hmm. we can play our part as an ecosystem player. I mean, we don't we don't ever expect to be the only way that companies are formed, hmm. right? But we can play our part to make it easier and more effective for really talented people to start companies and for those companies to then go into the ecosystem and participate in accelerator programs to take investment dollars from all of the great vcs that are here in the ecosystem or whatever it is yeah
1: i mean this is great and i like the fact that this conversation is out there this discussion about talent and this discussion about some of the challenges that derail a startup Mm -hmm. and how those are sort of at the inception point of the startup Mm -hmm. rather than maybe Mm -hmm. later on
0: yeah even though the they don't become problems until later on right And you say the the sun cost as well people may sort of mask it a little bit until it it becomes a real yeah crisis it's like oh we've already raised seed money like i can't quit now yeah but if if you're having those kind of thoughts you know you still you raised your your seed round you still have five or six years of hard work and just existential dread to get anywhere close to being successful (laughs) so if you're having those sort of thoughts and worries that early on it's there's 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 cracks in the foundation yeah i like it existential dread
1: i like that for a conversation all right i want to ask you a question i'm I'm conscious of the time as well but the the question that's top of my head is that you know what makes a successful startup founder and i want to sort of fast forward let's let's sort of bypass the the passion bit because Mm -hmm. that just gets you into the game every single startup founder is passionate we know that yeah no nobody would say yeah i just want to do it because i'm It's a bit of fun. They do it because they believe in it. (laughs) Mm. There's something more than that, isn't there? Yeah. And you, more than anybody, sit in front of startup founders day in, day out. You hunt them down. Mm. You reach out to them. You screen them. You train them. You teach them. Mm. You work with them. You see that every single single facet of their life play out here. So you know what's good and what's not good. So with that in mind, what makes them work? And I'll couch that question in the terms of, There's this media narrative about startup founders. And we know Jack Maher, who else? Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. This is what we believe Mm. startup founders to be successful. You know, somebody straight out of Stanford in a pair of shorts and sandals, (laughs) two kids, (laughs) 19-year-olds, changed the world. Or genius. He's a genius. Like, you know, he's he's immortal and we're just down here. We're like, you know, scratching around in the dirt. Mm -hmm. And he has this talent that nobody else can have. You've seen it. Is that media narrative true? Is that how it is? Is that what you identify? What are real startup founders like the successful ones? You know, when they walk through that door, that guy or that girl is going to be successful.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, First of all, the narrative. I would. I would just shoot it down straight away. It's just not like that. So obviously, those cases are real, but they are outliers rather than the rule. Um, well there's there's a a lot of hindsight bias as well exactly there's a lot of research on the fact that actually more experienced founders um build better companies um so that's the first you know point to sort of debunk that you know someone fresh from college uh is like before the fact the ideal founder right? right um so um we have our our founders have here on average 8 years of professional experience so they you know start to know what they're doing um, but then um what what we're looking for look, passion is a uh, ticket to play uh we look for the the spike like uh you mentioned already which is something that makes this founder unique um, they are uniquely capable of doing something it can be you know industry expertise it can be sort of you know some functional drive that you're super good at marketing or uh but then the spike is only one thing and then the two other elements are related to your you know personal characteristics you need to be super driven you need to have that inner engine to be a self starter and really drive things forward i think you often call this sort of hustle um but you just gotta have it, and then uh, to round it out, I mean, you need to have uh, perseverance. You know, tenacity. You you know mm. can't give up at the uh, face of adversity. And like Tyler called it the existential dread. <laughs> you're you're never gonna make it. But if, how, how do you the, how
1: do you see that? Because I imagine every potential founder sits with you and mm. say, "Yeah, I'm. I'll never give up." But how do you know? Yeah. Because everybody will say that. And I think it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until you get punched punch. in the face. Yeah, no, exactly. So how do they so, know that that guy's going to, or that girl's going to survive when they get yeah. punched in the face? So by that's the a
2: million dollar question, of course. Um, so we, we look at the track record a lot and then the history of what they've done. And then we have an interview methodology where we actually relive those moments of mm. tough times. And we try to understand how the individual behaved and um, why they made certain decisions so we really walk it through like we were you know reliving that situation but um, it's not perfect i don't think you have a perfect answer to this yeah. this question this is one of the most difficult things to uh, you know find out especially with younger the, mm. the, the the less experienced you are the more difficult this is to assess because you simply have less tracks so less situations where you had the opportunity to quit that's what it's about right absolutely are you gonna quit yeah
0: yeah um so one then, thing i i <clears throat> you know um tell founders and, and one of the one of the exciting uh periods of the eight-week program is everyone has a point where they're sort of at their lowest We're like something's not working. They've launched a MVP and there's no traction or they're, them and their co-founder have broken up or, or something's gone wrong. And I think that that, so from an investment perspective, I mean, if we talk, if we put our, our fund hat on for a second, right, and we talk about why we believe that Antler is going to be a more successful fund than existing early stage funds is If I only ever get to see founders in a boardroom setting and they're at their best and they're polished and they have their pitch deck prepared, et cetera, the worst thing I can do is sort of ask them difficult questions. And if they have any sort of charisma or composure, they can navigate those questions fairly well. Mm. Um, Whereas the Antler program, like we undoubtedly everyone here will go through a period where we get to see what they act like when things are going really bad. Mm. Um, And That to me is the point of inflection. And that to me is the informational advantage that we have to really see like, how does this person act when things are really bad and they're completely lost? And I always tell founders when they're at that point, I say that I'm going to give you some advice and it may not sound useful right now, but hopefully one day you'll appreciate that advice, which is what you're feeling right now. Like center yourself in this feeling of dread. This is what it's going to be like the whole time it's always going to feel like this, whatever problem that you're worried about right now, as soon as you solve that problem, three more will, will, will come about. Right. If you're worried about raising your next round, as soon as you raise that round, then there's going to be other things that, you you know, you're going to have these small glimpses of success where you're Mm -hmm. like, you wake up in the morning and I mean, you've built this podcast, you know what it feels like, right? Where it's like you wake up and you're like, I, you know, I'm so excited about what I'm doing, et cetera. But those are fleeting glimpses. And, I think to be a successful entrepreneur, um, and at the risk of, you know, speaking on platitudes, this is obviously not universally true, but from, from my experience is it's being able to center and almost find a way to enjoy being in that part of the experience, because that's like 90% what it's going to be like. And, you know, our program There's people who think that they want to start a company, and I think our program is excellent for this group of people, which is like, they don't know what it's actually like, and they experience it, and they're like, hey, you know what, actually, this is not what I want. Mm. And then they can go on with their life knowing that, hey, you know, I thought I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I actually don't. I actually really enjoy the safety and the comfort of my corporate job, and that's Mm. completely fine. Like, an entrepreneur is no better than a non-entrepreneur, but you need Mm. to know whether that's really what you want. And then for everybody else, it's really about just testing and assessing, like, what what's someone's endurance in this emotional state? How long can they stay mm-hmm. in this dread? And, you know, the really successful entrepreneurs are the ones who I think they have a lot of different coping mechanisms. Um, you know, if you take, like, Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, like, their coping mechanism is definitely, they don't have the, the same emotional makeup is a normal person right <laughs> they're sort of somewhere on this spe- yeah, like yeah, they're yeah. so socially they're in the spectrum for they're sure. so, they're so, yeah like they're so yeah. socially awkward that yeah. it actually doesn't affect them the same way that normal people do which fine and it's an edge case but that is yeah. the way that they're able to stay in that experience for a normal person who doesn't consider themselves um sort of a eccentric founder <clears throat> it's really about understanding like why why are you there you know, why are you putting yourself through that emotional experience? And if you can always mm. answer that question, mm. I think it helps you to get through. It's like, you know, when someone asks you, Graham, why do you spend so much time building this podcast and working on it? The day that you can't answer that question is a hard day. Mm. It's hard mm. to get through those days, mm. right? So, you know, again, talking about this sort of zero gravity environment, you have to always have that anchor that you can come back to and say, this is why I'm doing this, mm. right? Mm. And, well, like, you know, there's well, a... Now, one thing
2: I wanna to add to that is um that's also part of where the team comes in. Yeah. Right? So we're we're not uh big believers in solo founders. Yeah. Yeah. Um so in those you know, the times when things get tough, that's where the teams you know, you know team pulls itself forward mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um so we we want two or three people in the in the founding team for partly this purpose, many other reasons as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But,
0: uh, yeah, to have that support. I mean, you know, even you see and I, um, the chance of both of us being down at the same time is much lower than one yeah, of us. Right. Yeah. And, and, and we know, know each other pretty well. And, um, you know, I know when he's not having a good day and he knows when I'm not having a good day. And it's like, you know, on those days I can load him up with more stuff yeah. and, and take a bit of a deep breath and, 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 and vice versa. Um, bring you back to that center as well. Like yeah. remind you, cause yeah. when you're having
1: a bad day, all that sort of talk about a center is just kind of taking second yeah you know to all this the the nonsense of being a startup founder right yeah. it, it's you know it's in the wild as you mentioned already yeah. things are happening at a pace it's crazy you're dealing with other people's agendas you know, the bs of dealing <clears throat> with yeah. all that sort of stuff right so yeah. you have to have people to back you up And you're not always going to be, like you see on the pitch day, up there. Oh, these entrepreneurs, they're fantastic. They're always out there, high fives, all that sort of stuff. (laughs) That's not what it's like. It's the existential dread, right? That's a lot of it, right? And you know, you see these pictures, you look at internet, somebody with a laptop on the beach in Bali. Mm. Yeah, I'm building a startup. Yeah, I mean, that's just like like complete bullshit. It's hustle. It ain't like that.
2: No, I mean, there's a lot of this lifestyle... (laughs) Lifestyle founders as well who are part of the ecosystem and uh, yeah the, it's, the, the it's four great.
0: the four hour work weekers yeah. um, you know that that book probably uh took more people off the successful course then it <laughs> helps. It it, it's, it's, a a it's, a, a it's a nice selection yeah, thing, though. Is, so it,
2: anyone who gets attracted by that shouldn't try yeah, to be an entrepreneur. We've all read. I mean, enough, so so it's, read, I mean it's, try to be a it, it's, founder.
0: It's an amazingly attractive proposition to outsource your life and move to all these new cities, but it's just—it's just not really what it's like. I think you know one other thing that I want to mention about the founder DNA, um, and this is something you see a lot, is conviction. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, as a founder, you're going to spend, you know, depending on how fast it is for you to sort of build traction, hit that inflection point, all the the time before the inflection point, you know, and I'll talk about what I think happens once you hit that inflection point. Um, It's going to be a lot of negative feedback, a lot of no's from investors, a lot of like, I don't understand it, I don't get it. And like, you know, you always, you know, you listen to How I Built This and all these podcasts. And founders tend to skip over this period. The reality is is like that period of negative feedback could be two years where it's like you're constantly having people like, "What are you doing like it doesn't make any sense et cetera and <laughs> with if if with with a lack of conviction um and you know this is this has happened to me um it, it's really hard to prevent but You know, you, you wake up in the morning and you say, I mean, let's, let's take your, your podcast for example. You say, you know, I'm going to build this podcast. It's going to be the most successful, you know, you, you lay out this picture in your head and then you go out and you have like four investor meetings and, and every single one of them is some permutation of like, no, it's stupid. It's been done before this and that. And you go home at night and it's like, man, like, what am I doing? Yeah. Maybe they're right. Yeah. Like that's in my head now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, man, and, and, you know, you see it happen on a, I mean, You see founders, like I said, in one day, start off like super gung-ho and then go get beaten down in meetings and come back and be like, man, what are we doing? And you compound that over months and potentially years of just getting negative feedback. And if you don't have any conviction in what you're doing, um, it's easy to get stuck in this sort of carousel where it's like you over adjust to every piece of feedback you get Mm. and you end up just running in circles. And it's like, yeah so yeah if you don't have the experience from that and you don't
2: have someone who's being the the not the mirror but the mirror with mm, opinions who's mm. saying like don't do that yeah take a step back don't overreact it's 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 really yeah risky and uh, it's tough you yeah. get beaten up
0: and, and i yeah. think a, a, a good framework to to think about you know one way to approach this and uh, if uh, I, I feel that I'm going into teacher mode a little bit. In, in, you know, <laughs> Indulge <like, but> <laughs> us. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wait, f- they my like open. <laughs> yeah, if you turn to page five. Um, so um, if if you think about all the people that could potentially help you as 100%, so that's advisors, potential employees, investors, et cetera. If you're building uh, relatively um, familiar business. Mm. Um, it's not something super crazy. Like you're not talking about launching people to Neptune or whatever it is. Maybe 10% of the people that you talk to are on your side. So what you have to make sure is that your job is not to get hundred percent of people mm. to agree with what you're doing. Your job is to talk to enough people to identify that 10%. Right. So to get the end of that 10% to a place of like 10 to 20 people of investors, advisors, et cetera, who, when you talk to them about what you're doing, they're like, yes, I'm on board. Mm -hmm. And to just ignore the other 90% of the people to say, like, their feedback doesn't matter because if they're not, you know, quote unquote, my people, I shouldn't cater to what they're looking for. Now, Mm -hmm. the crazier your idea, the smaller that percentage becomes. So if you are trying to like launch people to space or if you're trying to build, Some business model. That's a
2: really crazy idea, by the way, Tyler. You should never do that. It's really dumb.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, trying to to, to, to clone human beings like something that's really on the edge. Mm. Then you're talking about like your people is now one percent of people you talk to, or like half a percentage of people you talk to. And and that inflection point I was talking about is, like, it's going to be crazy until enough people get on mm. board where you break sort of 50%. But in the yeah. beginning, your job, again, it, it's not to get everyone to like what you're doing. Yeah. Because we, we have this social, this this anthropological drive inside of us as humans to try to get everybody we talk to to agree with what yeah. we're doing, so like, get, like to get so this positive. positive. Yeah. And, like, that's not the goal at all. The goal yeah. is to talk to so many people that you're… You can identify who are your people and build. Mm. You'll try. People yeah. don't really yeah. people don't really understand that
2: this is a sales process. Yeah. Fundraising is a sales process. So mm. if 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 we talked about being a door to door vacuum cleaner salesman, mm. everyone understands that uh, you know your likelihood of you know hitting a yes is fairly low per door. Yeah. Okay. But then. If, you know, people assume, okay, I'm having a fundraising discussion, I have an awesome idea, yeah. team is fantastic, everyone's going to love it. Yeah. And then when nine people out of ten say, okay, thank you, yeah, no. too early for us, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Then everyone's like super dejected, because yeah. yeah. you're selling yourself, you're exposing mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. you are. Um, it's really tough you should look at it as a sales process same thing as it is with customers as it is with investors advisors and distance yourself a bit from from emotionally yeah. from the kind of transaction and yeah. it's a numbers game like Tyler said. absolutely yeah.
0: and 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 i think it's important to approach it with the right cate- like mental categorization as you walk away from that meeting not is this really a good idea based on what that person had? But you walk away from the meeting like not my people. Mm. It's not my tribe. At mm. least right now. Maybe in the future, that is. But right now, I can I can safely put them in not my tribe. And the next person I talk to, the same thing. My yeah. tribe or not my tribe if they're interested. So, you know, getting somebody to say no to your idea as quickly as possible is as valuable yeah. as having them say yes. So you can categorize them as, hey, you know what? Mm. Their feedback right now mm. is not important. Where you should really be worried when you're fundraising or hiring or doing anything is if the people who believe in what you're doing is 0%. Mm. But the like you said, it's a numbers game. The N has to be high enough to really say that you took a college try at finding who your people are. And the crazier your idea, the smaller that is. But you know, <clears throat> if you've talked to a thousand people and everyone is like absolutely dejected by what you're doing, either you're building something which is so edge case, it's gonna take a, a much higher end of conversations to find those people, and or it's sort of good feedback that maybe you should adjust and, 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 and rethink. Mm. But y- y- you can't continue to course correct based on every single little tidbit and feedback that people give you. Absolutely, I mean, this is great advice as well. Yeah,
2: No, and, and, and you know, just to make the, the example very concrete, um there's a lot of people like what does it mean to overreact to the feedback so it's for example you meet the vc and they tell you this is a very interesting idea we'd like it love the team mm. if you only did the same thing in indonesia yeah then i would be keen and then the team goes back and and it's like yeah. hey if if it's you know if we uh you know build this for indonesia it's red panty night you know we're gonna have uh you know big uh, party champagne we get the ticket great and then uh, you know, it doesn't work like that so you should you should have your own vision Tyler used to work mm-hmm. con- conviction is conviction a big is word. The word yeah um, and uh, stick to that because then let's think about this scenario so you you go back to the same VC and you said hey we listen to your advice, advice. We completely changed our plan. Yeah. Now we're going to Indonesia. Like what signal is that? Yeah. <laughs> like uh, it's like if wind blows this way, go yeah. this way. Right. It's I mean, like if
0: you, you 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 know you met a, a really attractive. A girl or a guy in either case and they said you know I love everything about you but I really prefer people with blonde hair yeah. and, like the next day you showed up and your hair was bleached blonde you, yeah, exactly. like, <laughs> that's people a, do do that <laughs> yeah no of they, course they, they, but that is a loser that's a, that's a much easier social situation to really understand like yeah, that would yeah. be such a bad move yeah right as opposed to saying yeah okay great but you know I'm obvious I obviously have dark hair so I'm gonna have to optimize yeah. for people who prefer dark hair yeah, Um yeah. So that is good advice. We yeah. we
1: understand it in those terms, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. That sort of conviction, and combined with the fact that you've got to understand where your ten percent is and go after mm. them, right, rather than mm. constantly take feedback from the ninety percent, which yeah. is obviously by default going to be the larger, the more voluminous yeah. <laughs> mm. feedback, right? Yeah. So understanding that and and being able to identify your ten percent. And I think why these kind of ecosystems work well is because you can step out a little bit, and somebody can say to you that actually that person you just met and that feedback that you got was part of the ninety percent. Keep going, you know. Maybe it's more of an edge case. Like maybe there is a market for going to Neptune, but you've just got to find a bigger group, a bigger sample to work with.
2: Like having people around you who. Are smart, understand what they're doing, and don't have the emotional connection to your particular business is super helpful. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Because, like, you're just able to look at it uh, analytically and neutrally and and assess where you might be over it. They can call out the BS. Yeah. And
0: And that's not to say that. The conversations with the 90% who aren't your tribe, like, it's still very valuable. Don't forget them. Yeah, it's still part of the process to understand what are their objections, mm. what, what sort of things. But to completely derail yourself and stop believing in what you're trying to do because of it, you have to make sure that you don't allow their opinions to creep into that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, But you'll get How important nice. from, from people who are skeptical of your idea, is where the best critical questions on what you're doing will come from, right? It was just like, oh, actually, I never thought about that like what Mm. if this were to happen etc let's let's make sure we answer that right so the next version of the deck has something which answers that question etc but it doesn't cause you to to lose faith in in whatever it is you're doing
1: yeah we had that when we were starting well i had that when i was starting the podcast yeah it would be i don't have 20 minutes to listen to a podcast yeah Mm. and by evidence today we've done an hour i think more or less haven't we i mean it just goes to show And i say to people look this is not about podcasting to your point about the 90 percent, you're absolutely right i think that even though there's a lot of people out there who don't have an hour to sit and listen yeah and they'll easily say that yeah what i say to them is actually either it's not for you it's not for those people who don't want to listen that's fine i'm not going to sell it to them yeah or it's not about the podcast it's about conversation yeah and i think you know, what we sell effectively here is a conversation people aren't having yeah. these days. People don't sit and have hour-long conversations about <laughs> stuff they really care about.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: what we're putting back on the table.
0: And all we needed to do was add an audience uh, for people to sit down and talk to each other. <laughs> right, there you go. Finger.
1: <laughs> well, conscious of the time, and I think this has been a really good, fascinating conversation, and we've covered some areas which I, I felt that we've really got deep into what you do here. Yeah. At Antler. I mean, obviously, the mechanics you can learn from looking at the website, of yeah, the, the, pr- the structure of the programs and so on. But getting an understanding of the people huh. mm. and what you do with those people, and obviously you guys behind the program as well, yeah. Because you know we can go and look at your CVs and your LinkedIn profiles, but hearing you speak as well, I'm passionate mm. about what you do. Mm. People that will infect the right people who will get it. Yeah. I think it would be an emotional decision yeah. that you know I've, I've got to be around these kind of people. Because, you know, what we've talked about today is how important having your own support network is and people who get it, mm. you know. Yeah. And yeah, in and at then- the early stage, you understand the, the frustrations that I feel as a single founder. You know, you've been there. You empathize with me. All those kind of feelings that you go through. And whenever I start talking about my existential dread, but in mm. different terms, I'm not going to embarrass myself. You're like, you're yeah. not going to macho me out. and say, ah, just harden the fuck up yeah like which is kind of very much the yeah. narrative in startup world isn't it you're going to say look i get it i get what you're going through yeah it's, it's one good day two bad days one good day two bad days it's yeah. like that in yeah. startup world right? like how
0: many of those mm. can you stack together right yeah, i think like you know con- conflating empathizing with someone's emotional journey and encouraging them to keep fighting is mm. a problem right because like like you said like harden the fuck up like You know, having perseverance and fighting through hardship doesn't mean that, you know, you never experience hardship, right? Or that you don't need people to empathize. Yeah, that you don't need people to empathize with what you're going Mm. through. You know, sometimes, you know, you see, and I, at least once a week, we'll sit down and he'll either complain about something to me or I'll complain about Mm. something to him. And it's not about not being hard. It's about, you know, you need someone to empathize with you and just get it off your chest and say, all right, you know, it's not that bad, or to contextualize it for you um etc and you know the yeah like i said back to the original point you know the whole ecosystem needs to understand that the founders are the heroes they are the workhorses they are the ones going through the entire journey and everybody else is sitting on the sidelines and you know waving their flags and rooting for them and supporting them in some way but it's like you know if you think about uh, a race car driver like Vc is the gasoline if, you know, the, the race car crashes and explodes, the founder could die. Mm. And we're just like, we'll lose some of our gasoline, right? So, you know, remembering that being empathetic to what the founders are going through and helping them through that journey um, is something that the ecosystem needs to be more aware of and at least have an understanding and appreciation for mm.
1: There are some unsung heroes in the <laughs> ecosystem as well. I know a lot of them. We founders like to position themselves in heroic mythical terms as <laughs> you know we are the the martyrs we're out there facing life and death on a daily situation yeah but there are you guys as well that support and it brings me round to the awards as well just sort of finishing up as well we do have a proper oh wow trophy for you <laughs> so i mean we did have a vote and we had i don't know seven thousand three hundred votes and we asked founders investors yeah and Accelerators, as well, to vote and choose who were the ecosystem builders that supported founders across yeah. Asia. So we had all the familiar names in there, like, you know, it wasn't just Singapore. We had China Accelerator in there, we had Betatron from Hong Kong as well. So there was a lot yeah. of support from people doing great work. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, Antler hmm. got in there as well. So All right. I mean, think. look at that. You got 252 votes and you came in at number six. So nice. hmm. with that in mind, I'd like it's to present not, you. I'm quite competitive, so
2: I, I'm not very happy.
1: About that. You're not <laughs> happy. Well, there's room for improvement. It's exactly. B plus, I think, in exactly, the scorecard. Exactly. There's always next year. Exactly. How about as that? But can, can
0: we call for a revote after this <laughs> yeah. podcast goes live and see if we go up or down? Scale?
1: Just keep revoting until you get yeah. the result you want, right? Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, I'd like to present this outstanding contribution to the startup ecosystem in 2019
0: wow. to Antler. Thank you very much. What well on guys? Awesome. All right, appreciate it. Thank right. And you can keep the box as well. Oh great! There you go.
1: So you put that on Beautiful. your well, corporate mantelpiece. Yes.
0: But I exactly. think it,
1: you know, there's a bit of fun doing the voting, and um, yeah obviously we had a lot of people vote for to get people out of their busy lives to say that i actually believe in this mm. startup ecosystem i believe in antler or whoever they voted for i think is well it's a vindication of the work you do because it's not just helping people's businesses but you're helping people's lives yeah right mm. startup founders believe yeah. in it right you've helped me do what i want to do yeah therefore you know i want to give some spotlight to you guys so. yeah Thank you very much for taking part. And yeah, thank you for it. all the work you do and taking part today. This is Tyler Newgut and UC Salavara, Graham Brown, signing off from the Antler HQ here on Anson in Singapore. Yeah, and let's do something else in the future. I think we had a good conversation today. We could have gone on. Definitely. We could have gone even deeper on yeah. areas. So I was yeah. going to yeah. offer for us to just keep sitting here. Yeah,
0: barely <laughs> barely scratch the surface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Thanks thank for you so much, us. Graham. Yeah, I yeah. really appreciate it. Excellent.
1: I think we're done. Good.
2: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.